Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. And on my podcast, Mini Questions, I ask trailblazers across different disciplines the same seven questions. Questions about the inflection points in their life, what they like least about themselves, and what relationship has defined love for them. This season, I'm coming back with new trailblazers like Blondie vocalist Debbie Harry, journalist and television host Jeremy Clarkson, editor-in-chief of Instar magazine Laura Brown, and creative juggernaut Goldie. Join me as we continue this exploration on season two of Mini Questions, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. Sarah Jessica Parker and Chris Knopf shared some pictures of themselves on the Sex and the City reboot set. Dev Patel opened up about feeling neither British enough nor Indian enough for Hollywood. And real-life furry Riley Black explains why Netflix's sexy beast misses the entire point of dressing up like an animal. It's August 9th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Shyla Watson. And I'm Allie Hayes. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Um, Allie, you're <laughs> here. You're guest hosting. I am so excited. Um, we have a lot to talk about. We and sure I feel do. Like we sure do. All our favorite things. <laughs> I know. I really, we designed this so that I can just blab about things I care deeply about. <laughs> so speaking of things you care deeply about, let's just start with The Rock. I was going to say um, the scorpion <laughs> king of my heart. Yes. Um, wow. I would read that book. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so he is one of the latest celebs who have been talking about their showering habits, which is not something I thought we would ever really be having a conversation about. But luckily, he is one of the celebs who actually showers. Yes. Um, and actually does so like three times a day. Yes. He said. And now I'm just thinking about the rock in the shower. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's a way to start a Monday morning. It just amazes me the information that some people will give up completely unprompted. Like That's the thing. Like, it costs zero dollars to be yeah, quiet. It is free. <laughs> it really does. But, like, when I tell you that Dwayne the Rock Johnson has never let me down one time, <laughs> I mean that. I knew in my heart that he was a multiple shower a day man, and I knew I could count on him for that. We love to see it. Okay, now, just like that, I am even more excited for the Sex and the City reboot. Let's talk about it. 
Over the weekend, SJP and Chris Noth, a.k.a. Carrie and Big, shared photos of themselves on the reboot set, including one where they look super lovey-dovey. Allie. Yes. <laughs> yes, child. We love, <laughs> we love this show. How are you feeling about the reboot? I have thoughts. <laughs> yes. I love Samantha, so I'm still a little upset. Yeah, I, I'm which is to be, I was going to say, it's to be expected. And now I'm very confused given these new picks um, because we had that kind of little leaked script that said the yeah. two might no longer be together, which I was like, you know, good for Carrie. But either way, <laughs> LOL. Well, I mean, it's interesting because before, like, just like that event, which is the name of the mm-hmm. reboot, uh, before that was even like really a thing they had been talking about doing a third movie mm-hmm. and in the script for the third movie, they were going to kill off Big. Yes. Because <laughs> everyone just wants to get rid of Big. God, I mean, I'm just like, who is Carrie without Big? Honestly. That's and a like, fair question. That's a fair. I just, as you know, I just did my massive bi-yearly rewatch of the entire uh-huh. thing. Iconic. Um, so I have fresh thoughts on all of that, but the show really does frame itself around their entire relationship. It's quite literally the yes. beginning and the end. Um, so it would be interesting to me to see the angle they would take if they weren't together anymore. Uh, but given these new set picks, it looks like they're still on good terms. And then I'm like, are they just teasing us? Because yeah. I also saw photos of the return of Natasha. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Like post, like, I hope her teeth are fine. <laughs> oh, that girl fell down some stairs. Um, Honestly, I'm just like, what could she be doing in this show like I feel like they're bringing everyone back to make up for the lack of Sam yeah and she also had like the best exit Natasha where she had like that really sick burn in her last scene at the lunch so who knows if she'll ruined my marriage and And now now you've ruined my my lunch lunch. (laughs) iconic okay well I'm I'm gonna have to watch the show we're Mm -hmm. gonna have to see what happens if they are lovey-dovey totally um But I want to pivot. So in other news, actor Dev Patel recently talked about how he's often been made to feel, quote, not British enough to play British roles and, quote, not Indian enough to play Indian characters. He told The Guardian he was surprised when his breakout role in Slumdog Millionaire, which he was heavily praised for, didn't lead to bigger roles. Instead, he was mostly offered cliche parts or was expected to, quote, put on a thick Indian accent despite being British. Dev went on to say he's felt, quote, stuck in this cultural no man's land, but thinks the entertainment industry is moving in the right direction for people of color. So I haven't seen his most recent movie, The Green Knight, but I am truly obsessed with it. I've watched the trailer like four or five times, and it does shock me that he's not a leading man more. Yes. I don't know how to say this without sounding thirsty. He's extremely handsome. I've watched that trailer like 10 times. It's going up every time I talk about it. I'm just revealing more of myself. So I am both shocked that he's not a leading man more, but also knowing Hollywood and my inevitable disappointment in their decisions, not surprised (laughs) that he's not in more. And it's always sad to hear that someone's being kind of pulled in two directions with their identity when they should be really being used just because they're inexplicably talented and also inexplicably handsome. <laughs> it it really is inexplicable. Um, I need a Dev Patel rom-com mm. so badly. Oh my God. Like, it's like the Daniel Kaluuya rom-com that I'm holding oh. my breath on. <laughs> For the love of God, if I have to write it myself. 
not do it. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that he, you know, is getting these parts. And I'm hoping that the more he's in, the more people will realize they don't have to like pigeonhole him or any other actor with Completely. multiple like identities. Completely. Um, but it's sad to see that this is still happening. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I need to pivot because there is there's this show. There's this show, Allie, on Netflix. In case you haven't seen Sexy Beasts, here's the breakdown. Contestants dress in typically animal-themed costumes that completely obscure their looks and then go out on three separate dates. By the end of each episode, someone picks a contestant whose, quote, real face they've never seen to be their sexy beast. But there's a lot more to this misunderstood subculture with an affinity for the intersection between humans and animals. And here to talk about how sexy beast is missing the mark is writer and real life furry, Riley Black. Hi, Riley. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. So for listeners who are a bit unfamiliar, how have you found the best way to describe what being a furry is? Wow, what being a furry is, I mean, it's one of these things where it's a little bit difficult because it's a community. So it's like you can be into furry stuff. Like you, know, you can really love Disney's Robin Hood and think, you know, the animation is so good, but not be a furry. Or you can, you know, drive a Jaguar or whatever or do an animal related thing and not be a furry. It's really, it's engaging with the community. So yeah, these are my people. These, these are cool folks I like to hang out with. But it's primarily centered around, if you imagine, basically people with animal-like characteristics so if you were to be hybridized with you know um a big cat or a dog or a wolf or a crocodile or whatever it is uh it's it's kind of taking on those sort of animalistic traits to create something that's unique it's not based around any particular fandom or property or uh, anything that kind of is prepackaged and exists like you make it yourself i guess the shortest way to do it is this funny animal people that's kind of what we've been calling ourselves for a very long it. time. Yeah. So as someone who is actually part of the furry community, what was your initial reaction to Sexy Beasts? Oh, my gosh. So when I saw that trailer, <laughs> it just it looked like, like who came up with this concept? It kind of seemed like somebody saw a news article about furries and went like, but what if that were a dating show? It was like it, it, it just it seemed to be sort of trying to reclaim like i don't know if you saw a blind date like back in the late 90s and like mm -hmm. that kind of show we're just gonna like put two people in a enclosed space and see what happens so it just seems like that with like this attempt to make it like grander or more sort of uh, insightful but like well what if you can't see their faces what if you can't tell that they're like you know thin pretty people under all that makeup what's gonna happen so it's this kind of like breathless take to us so i was like oh my god i'm gonna hate watch the hell out of this i'm sure like i wanted to withhold judgment but it's one of those things where it's like you know you, you can judge some books by their cover <laughs> so can you talk about the process that went into creating your own animal alter ego aka your fursona yeah so uh if you haven't heard of fursona before that's kind of your alter ego, your avatar, your projection. It's similar to like, you know, how on Twitter, any social media, we all have our little icon, our avatars, how you're choosing to present yourself. So I was like, okay, what, what speaks to me? Well, it's like, you know, I'm a crazy cat lady. I love cats. I live in the desert. I remember when I was a kid going to the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And in the Hall of North American Mammals, there's an exhibit all the way in the back. It's all the way on the right side of a jaguar kind of overlooking this desert. And just like 
yes, like I like that. There's something about that that draws me in. So like desert cat, like a big desert cat. And I always like black and blue. So that became my color scheme or often very colorful in the fandom. So, you know, it's not uncommon to see like, that's a fox, but somehow they're UV reactive. I don't get it. But that's, <laughs> that's more or less standard. So just put those things together. And yeah, like it just, it just fit. It's, it's something that, you know, some people, they change their personas over time or they might create a whole bunch of original characters. But for me, it was sort of a projection of sort of my aspirations and a big turning point in that was I came up with my fursona before I came out and before I started transitioning. And a key part of the process was I had some art of my character basically as, as a male Jaguar for a little while. And I said, that, I wonder what would happen if I gender flip this and asked a friend to draw that. It's like, yep. Oh yeah. Makes sense. Like totally. Yes. This fits in with everything. Totally not a dude need to transition. So it was awesome to have that space to create in and explore. And that's part of the fun of it is that it doesn't have to be who you are. It can be aspirational or some aspect of yourself that you wish you had that you don't, but it's just some of that projection. And for me, it was very much like a literal kind of like, I need to figure myself out and I'm going to do it through this Jaguar lady. So you mentioned that you met someone just like out and about who asked you about this. And I know that there is a community, you know, there are conventions and things like that. So can you talk a little bit about how this community sort of like comes together and what it's like when you're all together? Yeah. So from more or less the outset, so even though there have been anthropomorphic animal characters and, you know, figures and books and movies and everything for a very long time, furries of fandom really grew up with like the internet era where basically like being able to find other people and like talk about shared interests, especially through like the world of like animation and comics and things like that is really where it got started. So it's no surprise that folks who were involved with a lot of early comic cons and a lot of early fantasy and sci-fi cons are like, well, why don't we do our own for basically our own folks? So furry conventions are really sort of like the anchor points where we often get to meet each other, you know, buy art, you know, party together. Like if you want to meet other furries, that's basically where you go. I think there was just a convention just this past week called Megaplex. That's one of the really big ones. And there are a few others as we're trying to figure out how to deal with the pandemic and having conventions again that are starting up. But those are often the anchor points. And some conventions now are doing sort of virtual or VR conventions. And they're always smaller meetups and stuff as well. Like folks will just say like, hey, do you want to go to the Denny's and just draw? So they're the major events that draw people in from all over the country and sometimes even all over the world. But in almost every major city, I can guarantee you, like if you go to a park on a weekend, you have like a non-zero chance of seeing people in fursuits, like posing for pictures and hanging out together and things like that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned creating a fursona helped you find and embrace yourself as a transgender woman. Could you talk a little more about that process with us? Yeah, I think it was really critical to have a space where I could experiment and explore. Because when you're talking about gender, like the lines can be so rigidly defined. At the time that I did that gender swap piece of art to see how I'd feel about it, I was in a marriage that was very much defined along those gender lines. It was kind of you know chafing on me a, a bit, and I didn't feel comfortable. And I knew something was different. Like I've known that I'm trans since I was about ten, but I never really had the ability to express that. And that was really the only outlet I had for this kind of freedom where I felt safe to explore it. And the fact that furry is an incredibly queer 
fandom, I think it's you know less than 20% of people in the furry community identify as uh, heterosexual or not queer in some way. So the fact that like this is a group of people who are kind of self-selected of like other queer nerds who are like figuring out their gender and expressing it like as vibrantly as they want to, it was really the perfect setting to jump in and, and see how I felt about it. And to see myself sort of projected as I wish I would be an overall form. I mean, unfortunately, I cannot be a, a glorious glitter punk Jaguar lady as, as much as I'm going to try. Um, but just to even have the outline and say, yes, this speaks to me. Like, I felt like it was something that I could hang on to early on because you don't know what's going to happen when you start transitioning. What that means for everybody is so different. For me, I wanted to medically transition and start hormones, but I had no idea like, what am I going to look like? How am I going to feel? How is this going to change me? So being able to have this sort of personal island where I could really envision myself and, and, and hold on to that, it really kept me going through a lot of that uncertainty. Like I, I know that this is true. Like This is part of me and I can represent it and that's something to hang on to. All right, well, we'll be right back with writer Riley Black on what it really means to be a furry. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I always wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. And he started laughing. Prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant, picking up these girls, getting them in a position of vulnerability. When he got a hold of their neck, that was it. I'm Carolyn Osorio, a journalist and lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer that bears its name. How many times did you bring the camera to one the One time. Just one time. one time. He started fantasizing about having sex with his mother. Then he fantasized about killing her. But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims. We stayed in the woods. He always liked to go to the woods. She was just, to all of us, kind of strange. Do you know how he feels about prostitutes? Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. We're talking with writer Riley Black on the reality of being a furry and where Netflix's sexy beast misses the mark. So in the show, who's under the suit is sort of the big question. But in the actual furry fandom, would that ever be a question? Because it seems like being a furry is about showing who you are, not hiding it. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, you're seeing who they are. You're, you're seeing, you know, something that is real. It might not be the entire picture, but it is something that's that's authentic. And I think that's a really powerful thing, especially, you know, as we were talking about a moment ago, for a lot of trans folks and gender nonconforming folks who, like, might not be able to transition or express themselves as they would wish to in, in day-to-day life. But this is their space to really be like, yes, this is who I am. And for like this convention weekend, I can really just forget about everything else and, and, and be myself. Quick technical question. Who actually like, does everyone make their own suit or... I mean, how how do they come about? I'm so curious. Yeah, that's an awesome question. So even though furries are kind of synonymous with furries, only about a third of people in the fandom have them because they're heckin' expensive. Like, I am just commissioning <laughs> okay. my first one. And, you know, of course, I had to pick a character with rosettes and colorful spots, and, and that's difficult to do. So the one that I'm in the process of commissioning is going to cost about $5,500, like all said oh. and done, oh, wow. at least before... Um, you know, any extras I want, like arm vents or like a fan in the head to keep you cool because those things get hot. Yeah, so they're often expensive, uh, but like they're, they're really worth every penny when you're getting something that's like, it's basically you. This is something that, you know, it's almost like Hollywood level sort of artistry, but in this in this fandom. That is wow. so cool. Yeah, that's so neat. <laughs> so how would you describe the real life dating scene? Is it any different at the end of the day than how universally terrible dating is for everyone else? <laughs> Oh, I mean, dating is its own kind of terror, you know, no matter what sub-community you're, you're in. I think the best way I've heard it summarized, and I can't remember who came up with this line, so my apologies to them. But sometimes it feels in the furry fandom, it's like where commissions are closed, but relationships are open. So it's much more poly-friendly, much more monogamish. Um, it's not all of it, but I mean, this is true of anything. I feel this is one of the difficulties with being a furry because you often have to like come into it almost apologizing. It's like, well, sometimes we're kind of smutty. It's like, well, so is just about every single thing. Like Slash Fit yeah. started with Kirk and Spock. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why we were getting the spotlight on this. But in terms of like the dating scene is like, you know, at a convention, it's often just like on the dance floor. It's like there are raves and stuff that go all night. You know, you meet folks. Um, you know, a lot of it's online through Twitter, just so you kind of by commissioning folks or meeting friends of friends. And so it's a relatively small community, all things considered, even though there are thousands of people that might be at a convention, still pretty little. Uh, it's really just knowing other folks. But I know that's been a big issue. It was an issue for me in that, like, I was interested in the fandom, you know, since the time I was like a teenager. And, you know, years later, I get married and it was viewed as this stigmatized thing. And, you know, my partner was not a fan of, of furries at all. And we kind of dragged them. I was like, okay, well, I guess I can't talk about this until eventually I did. And I know a lot of folks like have that moment that unless you're dating somebody else who is a furry or knows about the fandom and just kind of like shrugs or whatever, it can often feel kind of like coming out. It can feel like this terrifying thing to, to disclose when it really doesn't have to be that way. So I guess I'm wondering to sort of wrap everything up. If someone doesn't know much about the furry community and they watch sexy beasts like what what will they take away is it is it right is it wrong like how can they learn more i guess do you have any message for people who do stigmatize it because i mean i feel like most people don't know and then if they see the show on netflix they're going to be like this is it but i feel like that's very much not the case <laughs> Yeah, so Sexy Beast really, it was just a way to talk about furries. Like my editor at Slate, uh, Shan Paul, she said like, hey, you're a furry, like, do you have opinions on this? It's like, okay, yeah, sure, I can run with this and make an educational moment. But Sexy Beast, it's not furry 
at all. Like it's it's animal stuff, but it's one of those things like it doesn't have any connections to the community. Like if anything, if fursuit makers made the costuming for that, they would have been way better. Uh, <laughs> to start with, I think that was one of the major reactions from the furry fandom. It was like, really, you're not gonna like hire us to do this when we know like what we're doing. If someone wants to know more and they're curious, or maybe you have like a, a you know a gross out opinion of of what furries are like, you know, we're not all that hard to find. You know, I share furry stuff on my timeline social media fairly often. You can look up some of these conventions like Biggest Little FurCon or Midwest Fur Fest or Further Confusion, and just see what we do, see what it's like. It's usually people getting together to you know share their art, have dance competitions, just socialize for a weekend. And yeah, there's all kinds of facets to that, but it's often much tamer and a little bit more mundane than I think a lot of people are expecting. Like you can find uh, what I'll call the exciting stuff if you want to, but that's not like mandatory. So a lot of it's just, you know, a Google away really, but Sexy Beast really has nothing at all to do with furries. It's a fun jumping off point to talk about kind of our interaction with the animalistic when it comes to sex and dating and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's entirely divided from what the furry community is. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, Riley, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so fun. So interesting. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Always happy to answer furry questions. That's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, Death Patel may not be a leading man in Hollywood, but he is the leading man of my heart. Make the (laughs) rom-com. Okay. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily. BetMGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 Moneyline wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. And there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking In, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? 
But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, Nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in.